Hello, people of the way. Blessings in Jesus. If you have your Bible, please open up to 1 Samuel chapter 12, the book of 1 Samuel chapter 12. We continue our study through the Old Testament. Now, last week in chapter 11, remember what we've seen so far in chapter 11, where we see the victory in battle. We see how the oppressors, they're defeated. We see the spirit of God is with Saul and the people. They have the fear of the Lord. And we also see sacrifice and offering and everything seems fine. Everything seems good. But remember, make sure you listen to our other study called The Marathon. The Marathon. Very important for us to understand because what we see is the nature and the character of our Lord. And we see how He works and how He pleads with mankind. Because remember, He is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. Very important. If you haven't heard the message called The Marathon, go and listen. Go and listen to the study called The Marathon because you're going to understand a whole lot more about the nature and character, the mercy, the grace, and the love of our Lord. And remember, it is written... He never changes. Both Testaments, Old Testament, New Testament, He never changes. And so here we begin our study in 1 Samuel chapter 12 in verse 1. Now Samuel said to all Israel, Indeed, I have heeded your voice in all that you said to me, and I have made a king over you. Now, remember, the prophet Samuel, the prophet Samuel, he's heeding the voice of the people but it's the Lord that told him to do that. Remember in chapter 8 and in verse 7, You see, his whole life, Samuel, he's been a beautiful, beautiful wall. His whole life, a barrier of safety for Israel, a protective wall so that Israel can be clean and pure before the Lord. And Samuel, he remained faithful to the Lord and he's still faithful unto the Lord. You see, because remember, it's the Lord. Yes, Samuel is heeding the people, but the Lord told him, Samuel, heed the people. You see? And Samuel is remaining obedient to the Lord. And God, you know, when, when, when God speaks to Samuel, he says, they're not rejecting you, Samuel. They're rejecting me. And so we also remember that you and me, in studying the scriptures, you and me, we have this pre-knowledge. We have this pre-knowledge that things aren't going to turn out so well for Israel. It's not going to turn out so well for Israel under the leadership of Saul. And this does, it absolutely poses many questions, many, many questions. You know, is this a setup job? You know, if we have this pre-knowledge that things are going to turn out so well for Israel, is, 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 is God setting up Israel for ruin? Does God have a predetermined ruin upon Israel? Is God going to make Israel sin? You see? And so these questions are posed, which is why we pose to you that make sure you listen to the study called The Marathon. The marathon. Because yes, the Lord operates, but then at the same time, there are certain parameters by which He does operate. You see? And the nature and character of our Lord is His grace, His mercy, His love, and also His long suffering. You see? And there are certain sects of belief where they twist the scriptures. They twist the scriptures to align with the doctrine that itself fails to align with the Bible. It's just, it just so happens we studied this on Sunday. Remember with the scribes? Where where Jesus, you know, he pinpoints and he says that they rightly cite certain scripture. The scribes, they rightly cite certain scripture, but they wrongly interpret the scripture. Remember our study in Mark chapter 9? It just so happens we studied this on Sunday where Jesus confirms that the scribes were right, that yes, Elijah is coming. But the scribes were also wrong in interpreting the scripture. Why? Because Elijah came. 
You see, they were blind. Much like today's religious establishment. Blind. You cannot follow such people. And so here in verse 1, we have Samuel in 1 Samuel chapter 12. He's heeding the people, but remember, God told him to. And Samuel is speaking to the people. Yes, I heeded you. And yes, you have your king. And then we see here in verse 2. And now here is the king. Here is the king walking before you. And I am old and gray-headed. And look, my sons are with you. I have walked before you from my childhood to this day. Anytime you consider the life of Samuel the prophet, this beautiful, beautiful man of God, anytime you consider him, never, ever, ever forget beautiful, beautiful mama. Because mama, she prayed for a son while she was still barren, remember? And the Lord heard her and the Lord answered her prayer. Very important to understand. If you're listening for the first time, go and listen to our study through 1 Samuel chapter 1 and get yourself caught up to where we are now. Beautiful, beautiful mama. The Lord answered her prayer. And don't forget, Hannah, she honored her commitment to the Lord. She honored her commitment to the Lord. Where, you know, you see today how parents, you know, parents who they they do the baby dedications. And listen, there's nothing wrong with baby dedications. There's nothing wrong. Baby dedications are beautiful. But count the cost. Count the cost. You know, if if you dedicate baby girl to the Lord, You have to train up baby girl in the Lord, you see? And today what happens is people dedicate their babies to the Lord, but then what happens in the course of time, they fail to train them up in the Lord. Baby girl's five months, five months old, fresh baby girl, beautiful, beautiful baby. And she's dedicated to the Lord on a Sunday service. And it's so beautiful. She's wearing a beautiful dress and she's so precious. So, so, so precious. You know, with the little flower in the hair and all kinds of things. It's always a beautiful, beautiful baby girl. But then what happens in the course of time? Baby girl, she's not five months old anymore. Baby girl is five years old. And you observe her. You observe her nature. It's like, wow, you know what? She's, baby girl, she's kind of ornery. She's kind of ornery. And the parents think, well, it's no big deal. She's just five years old. And then what happens when baby girl is 10 years old? Wow, you know, she's not just ornery. She's, look, she likes to tell fibs now. You see? She likes, and she's still ornery, except it's getting worse. You see? Oh, look, baby girl, she's 15 years old now. And look, she has a boyfriend now. She leaves the house at night and comes back a couple days later. She's still ornery. She's still fibs. And the lies have gotten worse. Baby girl is 20 years old. And she no longer knows the Lord. She doesn't know the Lord. Is she responsible? Yes, baby girl does bear responsibility for her own choices. But so do mom and dad. So do mom and dad. At five months old, baby girl was dedicated to the Lord. But then what happens in the course of time? Mama and papa, they neglect their responsibility to train up baby girl in the ways of righteousness. You see? This is something that it just so happens we also studied on Sunday of what our Lord Jesus, what he speaks about of the millstone. You see, don't forget, very important. And so we see beautiful, beautiful Hannah. 
You know, beautiful, beautiful Hannah. She's the mother of Samuel the prophet. And yes, the Lord answered her prayers. But then at the same time, Hannah, she honors her commitment to the Lord. And she trained him up. She nursed her son. And then she trained him up, you know, what she could do while nursing. But then all of a sudden, you know, she honors her commitment to the Lord and says, Here, Lord, here is my son. Here is my son. So beautiful to see the works of righteousness in male, female, young, old. It doesn't matter because the Lord looks at the heart, you see? And so here in verse 2 of 1 Samuel chapter 12, Samuel, the prophet, he mentions his own sons. You see, remember, they had a choice to make for themselves and they chose wrongly. Remember in chapter 8 and verse 3, how his sons, the sons of Samuel, they corrupted themselves but they were not under the roof of Samuel. Remember, very important to understand. They were not under the roof of Samuel. And so Samuel says here in verse two, my sons are with you. My sons are with you. What a, what a contrast to Eli, the priest. What a contrast, because remember Eli, he honored her, his sons more than the Lord. He honored his sons more than God. And he was high priest. Eli was high priest. And now look, Eli and his sons, Hophni and Phinehas, now they're dead. You see? And Samuel, he has sons too. But Samuel, the prophet, he does not follow in the error of Eli. Samuel honors God. Samuel honors the Lord much more than anyone, much more than anything. You see? Well taught by Mama. Well taught by, by Mama Hannah. You see? Picture for a moment how difficult, how difficult it was for beautiful old man Samuel to speak to the people here with the pre-knowledge that God gave him, that it's not going to turn out so well for Israel under the leadership of Saul. It's not going to turn out so well. And his sons, they're not sided with Papa. His sons are sided with the people who have forsaken the Lord and themselves desiring a king. That's who his sons are with. And old man Samuel, alone, he continues to speak. He says in verse 3, here I am. Here I am. Witness against me before the Lord and before his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Whose, or whose donkey have I taken? Or whom have I cheated? Whom have I oppressed? Or from whose hand have I received any bribe with which to blind my eyes? You see? Samuel the prophet, he just asked the people point blank, where's my wrong? Where is my wrong? Straight up, where is it? Who is the one that can make claim against me? Where is he? Where is she? Who can make a claim against me that has a foundation in the truth of God's word? Because remember, the people can absolutely make a claim against Samuel. Remember last week in chapter 11, they wanted to kill Samuel the prophet. They wanted to kill him. People could absolutely make their claims. But the question is, measured with scripture, listen, the claims, they have no standing. They have no standing. It's just like Paul. Just like Paul. You know, oh, Paul's so mean. Paul's so mean. He called me Levin. Paul called me Levin and told these people to separate from me. Paul is so mean. That's not loving. And it's true that it can be seen as mean. But when you understand formula, when you understand formula, and how uncorrected works of the flesh are indeed leaven. 
A person says, oh, Paul's so mean, Paul's so mean, he called me leaven. A person can ask, well, why did Paul call you leaven? Why is it that Paul called you leaven? Well, I do my sex, I do my drugs, I do my alcohol, I do my extortion, but that's no big deal. You see, when you understand formula, the holy formula as written in the word of God, Genesis to Revelation and everything in between, when you understand formula, that holy recipe, someone can say, oh yeah, it's no big deal, but you know, it's a huge deal. And you know, Paul is in the right. You see, someone could say, oh, Paul is so mean, Paul is so mean, but you know, just like Onesiphorus, remember our study? Onesiphorus, where everybody was leaving Paul in droves. Every, all the saints in Asia left Paul. But then there was Onesiphorus. He's like, well, where is Paul wrong? What did he do? Why, why, where is he wrong? You see, when you understand the formula, you know that Paul is in the right. And Paul, as shepherd, feeding the flock, caring for the flock, and protecting the flock. You see? You know, people say, oh, Paul is so mean, Paul is so mean. They make their claim, but they have no case. You see? Oh, Brother James, he's so mean, he's so mean. How dare he call Christians adulteresses and adulterers and adulteresses? How dare James say that? We're Christians, we come here to worship, and he says that he calls us adulterers and adulteresses. Oh, look, he's so mean, he's so mean. Again, the people can make their claim, but when you understand the formula, that holy recipe, they have no case, you see? Very important to understand. Korah, Korah in the Old Testament, you know, why are you gonna follow Moses? Why are you gonna follow Moses? Ask Korah. See, he can make his proclamation, but Korah must not be heeded. Korah must not be heeded. You say, wait a second, but Korah was heeded. Absolutely but not by the remnant, you see? What happened to those who followed Korah? They're dead, you see? Men, women, children, they're dead because they followed the wrong formula. And in, by doing that in themselves, wrong formula, that holy recipe. And so here in 1 Samuel chapter 12, Samuel's own sons, biological, they're not sided with their dad. They're sided with the people. And Samuel, old man Samuel, he stands alone. And Samuel asks these hard-hitting questions, point blank to the people. Point blank. Can you present to me someone I have done wrong or someone that I have cheated or someone that I've taken a bribe from? That's what he, that's what he says. And at the end of verse 3, he says, I'll, I will restore it to you. Did I take a bribe? Here, I'll give it back. Did I cheat somebody? Here, I'll give it back. Did I wrong somebody here? I'll restore it to you. Show me who is the guy? Who is the gal? Who is it that I have wronged? Where is my error? I will, where is my error? I will restore it to you. Remember our studies in Torah? Our studies in Torah and, you know, Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And, you know, how we would always say when we looked at certain statutes in the law, we would always say how these statutes can easily be corrupted easily be corrupted. I mean, we read the Bible and we see the priesthood in the era of Jesus' earthly ministry. We look at the scribes. We look at the priests in the era of judges. We even look at the sons of Samuel. We look at the priesthood in the era of judges and we look at the idolatry. You see? And we see corruption, but we know that, wait a second, they corrupt themselves. God doesn't make robots. 
They corrupt themselves. But then you look at Samuel. We don't see corruption. We don't see corruption. Where Samuel the prophet just straight up says, you know, where did I do wrong? Straight up said, I don't want your money. Where, whose ox did I take? Who? Who can make claim? And it's not a carnal boasting, but it's just posing this hardcore question, which begs a question, another question of our own. What's the motive of Samuel? What's the motive of Samuel the prophet? What's in it for him? You see, old man Samuel, he's standing alone. And when you understand formula, that holy recipe, we can see, no, it's Samuel that's in the right. You got all the multitude of the people. They got their king and even the sons of Samuel. They're uh, 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 people that have forgotten the Lord and have forsaken the Lord. And when you understand formula, you see, oh, you know, all these people. But here's this one guy over here. And what's his name? Old man Samuel. Beautiful, beautiful old man Samuel. Did you hear about his beautiful mama? Oh, she's so beautiful. She's so righteous. You see? And these are things with eyes to see that believers, you and me today in these last days, we understand, we comprehend, and we comprehend, and it's, it helps us ourselves in our own walk because we can see that our own faith can grow. Our own faith can grow, and by so doing, our, we can mature in Christ, we can grow in Christ and have this understanding. And it's not knowledge for the sake of knowledge. Remember, knowledge is a gift of the Spirit. And Samuel, you know, yes, Samuel the prophet, he's in the right. But it's not Samuel being right so that he can boast. It's Samuel being pure. Pure before the Lord so that he can, he can be a vessel to purify. Why? So that Israel can be clean before the Lord. You see? Samuel's motive isn't money. It's not choice meat. Remember what Eli's sons were doing with the sacrifices? Treating the people, bringing their sacrifices like they were waiters. You know, oh, I'll take a, give me a cut of this. Give me a cut of that. Wickedness. It's not sexual. Samuel's motive is not money. It's not the meat and it's not sexual. And that's what Eli's sons were doing. Remember their sexual proclivities? So what's left? What's Samuel's motive? What's in it for him? The people, remember last week in chapter 11, the people hate him. They want to kill him. And he's still here. He hasn't fled. He's still here. What's his motive? And that's what Samuel is mentioning. That's what Samuel is bringing up here. Where did I error? And in verse 4, and they said, you have not cheated us or oppressed us, nor have you taken anything from any man's hand. Now, remember last week's study in chapter 11 where they wanted to kill Samuel. But then when he frames it like this, what it does is it reveals an innocence to his motives. It reveals a purity to his motives. And like Paul, where, you know, Paul, a, a worker, and he made mention of this, a worker worthy of his wages. But with Paul, he denied it. He didn't want the money. Freely I have received, freely I give. That's what Paul says. So what's his motive? He doesn't want money. He doesn't take bribes. People hate him. People want to kill him. And it's the same with the prophet Samuel. The people wanted to kill Samuel. Remember last week's study? So what's the motive of these men? What's the motive of these men, especially as covering? What's the motive of these men? And in verse 5, then he said to them, 
The Lord is witness against you and his anointed is witness this day that you have not found anything in my hand. And they answered, he is witness. Whoa. Samuel the prophet, he's empty handed. I don't have your money. I don't have your stuff. I have no one's ox. I have no one's donkey. I'm empty handed. And that's what we see Samuel saying to the people. So what's his motive? And in verse 6, then Samuel said to the people, It is the Lord who raised up Moses and Aaron and who brought your fathers up from the land of Egypt. In verse 7, now therefore stand still. Now therefore stand still that I may reason with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous acts of the Lord, which he did to you and your fathers. It's so beautiful to see men like this. Men like Samuel. Yes, men. Men. Men, and for my sisters in Christ, don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged because it's beautiful to see women like Deborah and Yael and Naomi and Ruth. It's so beautiful to see women like these. But at the same time, what you know, we're speaking about biblical covering. Biblical covering upon persons, a people, a tribe, a nation, a flock, a remnant. And these coverings are male, biblically. Old Testament, New Testament, and still today, these coverings are always, always, always male. And in these coverings, the formula must be right. They're not chauvinist. It's not, you're all looking at coverings have to be male, and here I'm male, so submit to my authority. They're not chauvinist. They don't flaunt male headship like the carnal and the dead do. No, 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 no. These are coverings that bow to the ultimate male covering, and that's Jesus. Very important to understand. Very specific formula. And the Bible shows us what to look for. Go and listen to our studies, the pastoral epistles. Go to thewayunderground.com and then go to the pastoral studies and you'll learn more about what to look for. The Bible shows us what's the Bible absolutely says submit to the pastor, but the Bible also, it is also written what to look for in the pastor. And we see the criteria as outlined in the Word of God, as outlined in the pastoral epistles. You see? And Samuel the prophet here, he speaks, but what he does, he goes back in time. He goes back in time and he references Moses and Aaron, Egypt and the Exodus. Understand, history forgotten is history repeated. And by Israel forgetting the Lord. Remember, this is 1 Samuel chapter 12. And this is a generation, this is an era in the judges era where the Lord has become forgotten and they're repeating history. And when you when you look at history from first, the perspective of 1 Samuel chapter 12, when you look at history, you do see moments of blessing. You do see moments of blessings, absolutely. But everybody wants to remember the blessings. Everybody wants to remember the good stuff. When only the good happens, everybody wants to remember that. But history also includes the bad. Moments of judgment, moments of wrath. You see? And sometimes you see that in Christians today. Believers are, you know, I don't look at the Old Testament. It's too judgmental, too much wrath. And so, you know, I don't look at the Old Testament. We just study the the New Testament. Now, listen, we're New Covenant believers. But look what's missed. Look what a believer can miss by excluding from studies the Old Testament. I mean, if you've been walking with us for a while and you've been uh, 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 following along in our studies through the Old Testament, look what we learn from the Old 
covenant truths, the Old Testament, the law and the prophets fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And then you have believers today. Oh, we don't, we don't, we don't study pastors. We don't study the Old Testament. We're new covenant believers. You see, history forgotten is history repeated. Nothing new under the sun. And Samuel the prophet, what he's doing here in chapter 12, 1 Samuel, he straight up, he goes old school. He goes old school. He goes back in time and he references history. In verse 8, we see when Jacob had gone into Egypt. Whoa, you see? Samuel, he goes old school. He references a time before Egyptian bondage, which became bondage in the course of time because before Egyptian bondage, they're in Egypt and, you know, it became bondage in the course of time. And also when the Lord became forgotten, remember our study? And in verse 8, when Jacob had gone into Egypt and your fathers cried out to the Lord, then the Lord sent Moses and Aaron who brought your fathers out of Egypt and made them dwell in this place. And when they forgot the Lord their God, he sold them into the hands of Sisera, commander of the army of Hazor, into the hand of the Philistines and into the hand of the king of Moab, and they fought against them. Now, when we see that the Lord sold Israel in the Hebrew, it's the Lord surrendered Israel. The Lord surrendered Israel. How does this happen? How does this happen for the Lord to surrender Israel? How does this happen when the Lord promises to fight in those battles, in those wars? The Lord promised to. How how does it happen that the Lord surrenders Israel? Did the Lord change his mind? Not at all. There's a specific formula for the effectuation of promise. And so we see moments when the the effectuation of promise isn't there in Israel. What does the Lord do? He simply steps away. The Lord surrenders Israel. You see? And I don't want to get graphic. But let's say you and me, we, we get into a fight. And we're not against, and it's not you and me opposed against one another. It's you and me, we're together, and we have an opposing force that's coming against us, and we, we fight. And we're, you and me, we're on the same side. Old Testament rules of engagement. Not to get graphic, but Old Testament rules of engagement. And we have on our side a valiant, valiant warrior. Valiant warrior. And in all our fights, every single one of our fights, we win. We win victorious. And this valiant warrior makes it super easy for us because, you know, this warrior, this valiant warrior, he handles business big time. On the battlefield, he handles serious, serious business. You see, where you and me, you know, we take out one or two guys, he takes out 10,000. We're victorious. But this valiant warrior, he handles serious business on the battlefield. And him being with us, it's strictly dependent on us being with him. And it sounds like a no-brainer. You know, him with us is dependent on us being with him. But it's much deeper. There's much, much more depth than the surface level. And let's say that in you and me, a very specific recipe, a very specific formula is off. Say it's way off. It's so off that this valiant warrior is no longer in our midst. The opposing forces are still there. But what do you think those battles will look like when we no longer have this valiant warrior? Where you and me, we take out one or two guys and the valiant warrior, he takes out 20,000. 
you know, 50,000, 100,000. And we have victory, but, you know, they're very uh, specific to a, 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 a certain holy formula within you and me. And then what happens when that formula is off, that recipe is off. And those battles, when we still have the opposing force of 100,000, do you think we're still going to have victory? No way. No valiant warrior, you see? And what happens when this valiant warrior is the commander of the armies of heaven? You see, people look at verse 9. They look at verse 9 and say, wow, God is so mean. How could he be loving if he, he sells the people out? But when you understand formula, holy formula, holy recipe, and when you understand effectuation for God's promises, and you see the Lord step away from the battlefield, you also understand why he steps away. It's not because of him. It's not because of him. He never changes. You know, it is written. He never changes. It's because of the people. The people have changed their hearts. Remember our study in Numbers where, you know, uh, Moses straight up says, you know, thus saith the Lord, go fight against the Canaanites. And then, you know, the, 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 the people, they're like, you know, no, you know, they're going to kill us. These guys are huge. They're going to kill us. So, you know, no, thanks. We're not going to do that. And then the Lord speaks to Moses and, you know, and Moses responds to the people and says, okay, well, because you don't want to go fight the Canaanites, now, instead of this journey being 11 days, now it's going to be 40 years. Instead of 11 days, now it's going to be 40 years in the wilderness. And then the people, they say, wait a second, now that they've, you know, kind of measured their odds a little bit, they're like, okay, you know, we'll bite the bullet, you know, instead of 11 days, I don't want 40 years, so, okay, now we'll go fight the Canaanites. But then the Lord spoke to Moses, tell the people not to do that. And Moses tells the people, hey, guys, don't do that. Don't go fight the Canaanites. And what happens? The people go fight the Canaanites and they lose. They take casualties. They lose the fight. And you say, wait a second. But God said, go and fight the Canaanites and we will be victorious. And then you read the passage. It's like, wait a second. There is no victory. Did God change his mind? No, not at all. The people, they changed their heart. Why? Because of disobedience. The Lord says, go and fight the Canaanites. The people said, nope. Nope, they're bigger than us. We're going to take casualties. And they, 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 they played the, they tried to get sentimental and say, oh, it's because of the women and children. It's because, you know, we, we want to care for our families. You know, we, 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 we want to make sure they're nice and safe. So we're not going to go and fight. And so Moses says, okay, this is what the Lord says. Because of that, because of your disobedience to what he says, the Lord says, okay, this, it was going to be 11 days. It was going to be 11 days. You know, I told you to go and fight the Canaanites. I told you you would be victorious. I told you that I would fight the battle. But because you disobeyed, because you didn't fear the Lord, you feared the Canaanites, you see? And because you did this, okay, instead of 11 days, now it's 40 years. And then the people, they, they, they make the, you know, they do the, the measuring. They're like, okay, 11 days and 40 years. And they say, okay, because it's 40 years, you know, we'll risk it. Okay, now we'll go fight. Okay, Moses, we're ready to go fight. Now, look, we got our shields. We got our swords. Okay, we're ready to go fight. And let's go fight because, you know, the Lord told us that we would be victorious. The Lord told us we'd be victorious. He'd fight our battles. We'd win. And then you see Israel, they lose. They take casualties. There's death in the camp of Israel. What happened? Did the Lord lie? No, it is written, the Lord cannot lie. Did the Lord change his mind? No, it is written, he never changes. So what's left? 
What's left? The people. They change their hearts. Disobedience, you see? Very important to understand because, you know, people today, they say, oh, look, God is so mean because, look, he sold Israel. But when you understand formula and the holy recipe, you understand why. Because there's no effectuation of promise for a reason. It's not because the Lord changes his mind. He never changes. You see? It's not a setup job where the Lord predestines ruin. And very important, go and listen to our study called The Marathon. Very, very important. Because there are sects of what people call Christianity. There are sects where people say, oh, look, God sets people up for disaster. God predestines people to hell and God makes people sin. You see, that's a cruel, that's, that's cruelty. That is not the God of the Bible. That's idolatry because what they do is they create another God in their own image. And even worse, they call that idol sovereign. Go and listen to our study called The Marathon. Go and listen to our study called The Marathon. Very important for us to understand. The Lord never changes. And we see in the course of time, Old Testament, New Testament, and still today, the Lord is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. Why? Because He loves you. You see? And so with Israel, we see the ups and downs of Israel and God sends messengers. We see the ups and downs in the lives of Christians and God sends messengers. And Samuel the prophet here in chapter 12, in 1 Samuel chapter 12, Samuel the prophet, he continues in this historical account of events. In verse 10, then they cried out to the Lord and said, we have sinned. This is Samuel giving this historical account to Israel. They have their king. They have King Saul. And Samuel standing alone. His own sons are with the people, a people who have forgotten the Lord. And Samuel, old man Samuel, is giving this historical account in verse 10. Then they cried out to the Lord and said, We have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord and served the Baals and Ashtoreths. You see, idolatry. But now deliver us from the hand of our enemies and we will serve you. And the Lord sent Jerubel. Bedan, Jephthah, remember Jephthah, his beautiful daughter, and Samuel, and delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side. And you dwelt in safety. You dwelt in safety. And now we see this convergence of time. Where, remember in in verse 8, where, you know, he straight up, he starts with Jacob before entering Egypt. And now we see the converging of, you know, unto the present generation of 1 Samuel chapter 12. And Samuel says, you dwelt in safety. The end of verse 11, you dwelt in safety. And it, it, it blows me away so much because you have the people, they dwell in safety. And it's also interesting to know, you know, the people, they cry out to the Lord. And who is it that the Lord sends? Who is it that the Lord sends? And for such a time as this, in their perspective generations, Old Testament, New Testament, and still today, what do we see? We see individuals in whom the formula is right. Look at Ruth. Look at beautiful Ruth. Look at beautiful Ruth. And the eyes of the Lord were upon her. That's my girl. You see? And I'm going to use Ruth and then you look at the, the span of generations and you see, oh my goodness, Ruth, how beautiful she is. 
There's nothing more beautiful than righteousness. Nothing, 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 nothing more beautiful and exquisite and more gorgeous than righteousness. You look at Ruth. You look at Jephthah. You look at Ehud. You look at Deborah. You look at Yael. And for such a time as this, in their generations, the Lord sees, hey, there's my guy, there's my gal, and the Lord sees the who is it that has formula, that holy recipe. In a generation where the Lord has become forgotten by the masses, who is it among the masses? Where is it that you see? The remnant. The remnant. You see? And the Lord uses the remnant as his vessels so that Israel can be pure before the Lord, so that Israel can have effectuation of promises, so that the commander of the armies of heaven is restored and in the midst of the people. Where, you know, the Lord sold, you know, uh, 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 sold to a people, the Lord, you know, uh, 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 steps away from the battlefield. Well, instead of the Lord stepping away from the battlefield, what about the Lord returning to the battlefield and, you know, fulfilling his promise of, I will fight those battles. It's not your fight. It is my fight. I will take care of that. You see? Very important to understand how the Lord works. Like with King Hezekiah, and we haven't got there, but we're going to get there eventually in the course of time, Lord willing. But with Hezekiah, the armies, all the army, the Assyrian armies were against him. And he was kind of freaking out a little bit, you know, understandably. And he prays, he goes to the Lord and he prays. And who is it that the Lord sends? The prophet Isaiah. And you have the armies there in camp. Like the next day, they're going to like, you know, barge in, you know, take over. It's going to be wartime. It's going to be a time of fighting. And the, the, Israel was outnumbered. Hezekiah outnumbered. And then the prophet of the Lord comes. Hezekiah. Thus saith the Lord, go to sleep. Hezekiah, thus saith the Lord, go to sleep. Now, what kind of battle strategy is that? Where you have the enemy encamped all around you and the battle strategy is go to sleep. What kind of battle strategy is that? It's not of this world. It's not of this, definitely not of this world. But in Hezekiah, the formula was right. He prays, he seeks the Lord, and the Lord responds to him through the messenger. Through Isaiah the prophet. And the Lord responds, you know, thus saith the Lord, go to sleep. Hezekiah wakes up in the morning and you know what he sees? He sees everybody, all the armies of the Assyrian, all the soldiers. You know what? They're dead. They're dead. One angel killed them all. One angel killed them all. You see? That's what happens when the Lord fights. You see? It's not carnal. It's not, you know, if you know if you have any experience with fighting, you take out one, two, three, four guys, you're tired. It's exhausting. And then with the Lord, not the whole army. No, they're done. But the formula has to be right. You see? And the formula was right in Hezekiah. He goes and prays to the Lord, and the Lord responds and sends, sends uh, uh, the prophet, hey, thus saith the Lord, go to sleep. And it was one angel that handled business, serious business. And so when we see where the formula is right and we stress formula, 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 all the time we stress it. It's when the formula is right in you and me, the eyes of the Lord are upon you. And for such a time as this, for you, where the Lord can send you as messenger. You see, the Lord can send you as messenger to tell people of the Lord, to tell people of the good news. 
Yes, we have our, our, our sword and yes, we have our shield. But at the same time, don't forget, we also have fishing poles. Fishing poles. Being wise, not stupid. The Lord never calls us to be stupid. We're called to be loving. We're called to be gracious. We're called to be merciful. We're called to be forgiving. Never do you see a call of God to be stupid. We have to be wise in these last days. Go and listen to our study through the book of Jude. Very important to understand. And so Israel having effectuation of God's promises. And that's what these messengers of the Most High desire. Effectuation of God's promises. How does that happen? When the people are pure, when the people are clean. Old Testament, New Testament, when the people are pure and clean. Praise be to the Lord. And look at verse 11. You know, it blows me away so much because in verse 11, you know, uh, 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 Samuel the prophet, you dwelt in safety. You dwelt in safety. Everything is fine. It would seem. The people, they dwell in safety, but then something happens. And in verse 12, and when you saw that Nahash, king of the Ammonites, came against you, you said to me, remember, Samuel the prophet here, he's giving a historical account. And he's connecting the timeline from Jacob to Saul. He's connecting the timeline. And Samuel is giving this historical account from a very recent history of Israel desiring a king. And what is it the people said? He's giving this account. You know, when you saw in verse 12 that Nahash, king of the Ammonites, came against you, you said to me, no, but a king shall reign over us. A king shall reign over us. And what does Samuel say in response to that? When the Lord your God was your king. Look how tragic this is. The Lord is king. The people dwell in safety. And the people say, you know what? We want something different. Whoa. No thanks. We would like something different. They're in disobedience to Moses. Remember our study in Deuteronomy, Old Man Moses, where Old Man Moses, the second generation of Israel, they're about to pass into the promised land and Old Man Moses tells them, you are God's people. You are a consecrated people. You are set apart for the Lord. Yes, you're going to go into these lands and in these lands, you're going to see the Philistines, the Canaanites, the Jebusites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the uh, Moabites. You're going to see all these people and Moses tells them, don't be like them. Don't be like them. You guys are different. Yeah, they have their king. Yeah, they have their idol. Yeah, they, they, they're idols. And yes, they have their form of government. And yes, they have all that. And old man Moses told them, don't be like that. Because you're different. You're different. You're God's people. And he is king. And you are his, and he is ours, O Israel. You are a consecrated people. You are set apart for him. And then you fast forward across all these generations in the judges' era when the Lord becomes forgotten. We hear, here we are in 1 Samuel chapter 12, and the prophet Samuel. The prophet Samuel is giving this account of what has transpired over the span of history. How Israel wanted a king and Samuel says, no, the Lord is, the Lord is king. And Israel responds, the elders respond. We want a king, a king shall reign over us. When the whole time the Lord was king. Pretty sad that it's past tense here in verse 12. When the Lord, your God, 
was your king. Because now Saul, who's now king, he's been anointed and he's king. And it's sad. And it's very interesting to know that in the span of time, past and future, when this, when the Lord is king, when that is restored upon Israel, that's prophetic. That's straight up Zechariah. That's when Jesus Christ returns, stands on the Mount of Olives, and he's crowned King of Kings and Lord of Lords. But for you and me today, we do it by faith. We do it by faith. Who's on the throne of your heart? It's Jesus. I mean, if you're a believer, you abide in Christ. Who's on the throne in your heart? It's Jesus. Today, he's King of Kings and Lord of Lords for us the one and only, the true King, our Savior, our Lord, our everything, and He sits on the throne of our hearts. And today it's by faith. But there's coming a time when faith will be no more. Why? Because we're going to see Him face to face. Very important to understand what the text say, what James says, what Paul says, what Peter says. Very important to understand. Now, you know, the, 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 in, the, in the olden days, in the, in, in the era of Paul, in the era of Peter, they had things, you know, from a, from a, a doctrinal perspective, or even in the era of, the, of the, the priesthood, in the era of Jesus, in his earthly ministry, they had it, I don't want to say kind of easy, but in another way, I want to say they had it kind of easy. Why? Because what they had to line up, every jot, every tittle having to align was, you know, uh, 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 Genesis to Malachi, the Old Testament and the prophets. That was all that they had to line up. But for you and me today, there's more that has to align perfectly. Perfectly, perfectly, perfectly. And what is that? It's the Gospels. It's the Epistles. Everything has to line up, both, te- both Testaments. Everything has to line up perfectly. Perfectly. You see? And Jesus Christ will be crowned King. But that's a prophetic event. That's a future event, Zechariah. Very important to understand what the Bible says. You and me, we do it today by faith. For Jesus Christ is king of our lives. And if you're listening, you're not a believer. Don't forget that, yes, judgment is coming. Wrath is coming upon this world. And people say, how could God be so mean? How could God? He isn't. He isn't. He's just. He's the one who made a way. God so loves the world that he gave his only begotten son. You know what? We get in the ship. We get in the ark. Jesus Christ, the ark of our time. Come on board. And if you're listening and Jesus Christ is not king of your life, hey, change your ways, oh man. Change your ways, oh woman, if you're younger. Change your ways, oh boy. Change your ways, oh girl. And come to Christ. Hit pause, listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. And you commit your life to Christ. Right here, right now, commit your life to Christ. You listen, you, you follow the instructions in that message. You come back, you listen, we journey together. Because straight up, we're going to paradise. Very specific instructions. Very easy, but very intricate. We're going to paradise. And it's so sad here to see in chapter 12 of 1 Samuel, the past tense reference to the Lord as God, or the, the, the Lord God as king, when the Lord your God was your king, because now the people have saw. Whoa. They had safety too. The people, they dwelt in safety. And God was king and we were safe, we were safe. And the people say, yeah, we want something different. 
And Samuel the prophet, he continues, look at verse 13. Now, therefore, here is the king whom you have chosen and whom you have desired. And take note, the Lord has set a king over you. Remember, King Saul is there. King Saul is there. Remember verse 2, Samuel, he's speaking to everyone. Everyone. And you might think Samuel is out of line. Oh, you know, Samuel, you know, how dare you speak of our king like that? But remember, God is no respecter of persons and neither are his vessels. God is no respecter of persons and neither are his vessels. Remember John the Baptist? John the Baptist, how he spoke to Herod? Remember Paul? How he spoke to Christians? James, how he spoke to Christians? You know, how Paul says, uh, you know, your rejoicing is not good. You know, I marvel that you, uh, you turn away so soon from him who called you. Have I labored for you in vain? And Brother James straight up says, you guys are adulterers and adulteresses. Picture that, Christians. Christians, oh, we're coming to church. We want to praise the Lord. We want to worship together. And it seems like, yeah, that's a good thing. But what happens when it's in the wrong formula? We want to feel good about ourselves. We want to have the joy of the Lord, the joy of the Lord. Now listen, the joy of the Lord is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful thing. Very beautiful. A promise of God, the joy of the Lord. But there's a very specific formula for that. And it's obedience unto the Lord. You see? You have pastors today, they stand at the pulpit and they tell their jokes. You know, give a 10-minute sermon and a you know 20-minute comedy session. And the people laugh and oh, ha, 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 ha. Oh, it's the joy of the Lord. Ha, ha. No, that's carnal joy because it's just laughter. That's all it is. And it lasts five seconds, 10 seconds. And who's the fool? It's the pastor. You see? Who's attempting to exchange the joy of the Lord for something carnal, something of the flesh. Oh, look, the people are laughing. The people are laughing. But it's carnal. They're laughing because you're telling them jokes, pastor. But what about the joy of the Lord? And Brother James, he says, you got to Christians, to Christians. He says, you guys are adulterers and adulteresses. Why? Wrong formula. You ask and you don't receive. Why? Because when you ask, you ask amiss. And he says, yeah, you want the joy, but now's not a time for joy. You know what it's a time for? And Brother James continues to write. He says, no, it's not a time for joy. It's a time for lamenting. It's a time for sorrow. It's a time to be sad. Why? Because of you. Because of you. And he doesn't just leave it like that. You know, you know, adulterers, adulterers, you're, you know, it's a time to be sad. It's because of you. Okay, bye. He doesn't say that. You know what he says? Let's get you cleaned up. Let's get you cleaned up. You have to be right. You have to be pure before the Lord. Yes, it's a time of lamenting. But why? So that you can repent. And you come to Christ. And then you have restoration. You have effectuation of promises. You have the commander of the armies of heaven in the midst of the camp. And then what happens? The joy of the Lord. You see? The joy of the Lord in response to obedience unto the Lord. People go and they listen to their comedian pastor. Oh, we have the joy of the Lord. Look, I'm so happy. I'm so happy. No, you're laughing because the fool is telling jokes. But the joy of the Lord, that's unspeakable joy. Remember Peter? When Peter, he's, he's getting beat up. 
He's getting beat up and thrown in prison. He's thrown in prison freshly after a beatdown. And what happens? He rejoices. What kind of joy is that? It's not carnal. That's a joy that's from the Lord. Why? Because he was, he was rejoicing because he was counted worthy to suffer shame for the name of Jesus, our Lord, our King, our everything. He was rejoicing because he was worthy to suffer shame. You see? Formula. You're not going to get that from the comedian pastor. You see? The formula's got to be right. It's very true that God is love. Very true. God is love. But let's you and me together, let's let God teach us. His brand of love. Because the world has an idea of what love is. Everybody says it. You know, love is love, love is love, love is love. And they exemplify it by X, Y, Z, A, B, C, 1, 2, 3, and everything depraved. Because the world has an idea of what love is. But when the Word of God shows us, when it's the Lord that says, no, this is what love is. And God is love. And when we understand His brand of love that never excludes the truth. And understand that truth, when confronted with the flesh, it always hurts. That's what truth does to the flesh. Because you can be in your sex and your drugs and your alcohol and your whiskey and your Ouija boards, your occult, your extortion and all kinds of different things, your yoga, your hot yoga. You can be in all kinds of different things. And when you're confronted with the truth of God's holy word, it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt. You're going to hurt your little feelers. Why? Because the word of God says, hey, that's wrong. You should have no gods before me. Why are you doing the kundalini? For the yoga people. Oh, yoga is just about stretching. It's just about stretching. Really? Sun salutation? That's what the wicked priests were doing. The wicked elders were doing, worshiping the sun. And if it's just about stretching, go stretch. Don't do the yoga. Don't worship the sun. Don't worship creation. Worship creator. Worship Jesus. You see? When you're in the flesh, the truth of God's holy word will hurt. Absolutely. You do your sex and your strippers, your pornography. You do the, uh, the, 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 the Ouija boards. You're going to be confronted with truth. And you know what's going to happen? It's going to hurt. And praise be to the Lord. Yes, praise be to the Lord. Because remember what Paul says? He says, you know, it hurt me that you were made sorrow, like you were filled with sorrow, but I'm, I also rejoice. Why? Because in your sorrow, you were, it was a, 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 a godly sorrow. Godly sorrow. Why? Because a person is confronted with the flesh or confronted with truth. The flesh is confronted with the truth and it hurts. And Paul says, no, that's a godly sorrow. And godly sorrow, it leads to repentance. You see, because look at Peter, you look at the book of Acts, look at Peter, how Peter would speak to one group of people and they were cut to the heart. Peter, he spoke to another group of people and they also were cut to the heart. You see, truth hurts. They were cut to the both groups. Paul would speak to one, Paul would speak to the other. And both groups of people were hurt. They were cut to the heart. Truth hurts when truth confronts the flesh. Truth hurts and it hurts bad. 
but with one group, they were cut to the heart. And they say, hey, what do we do? What do we do? They thought Peter was drunk at first. Peter says, it's not, we're not drunk. It's morning. We're not drunk. And Peter gives them truth. The people hear and they thought they supposed Peter to be drunk. And then they realize, oh my goodness, he's speaking truth. And the truth that he speaks, it hurts. And it hurts so bad that we're cut to the heart. And oh my goodness, Peter, what do we do? What do we do? And he says, repent. Repent, believe, call in the name of Jesus and receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and you will be saved. And praise be to the Lord because truth hurts when confronted with the flesh. But then it begs the question, what happens next? And for that first batch of people, praise be to the Lord, they came to Christ and multitudes were saved. But to the other group of people, they were also cut to the heart. They heard the truth as spoken by Peter. Not Peter the disciple, Peter the apostle, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And Peter speaks, and he speaks truth, and the people that he was speaking to, they were cut to the heart, and instead of being, instead of saying, Peter, what do we do? What do we do? Like the first batch, you know what they say? Peter, we're going to kill you. And that's what truth does. It cuts. And it cuts deep, depending on the type of flesh, depending on the works of the flesh, depending on the, 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 the level of carnality and the works of carnality, truth, it's going to hurt, and it's going to hurt bad. But what happens next? What happens next? Is a person cut to the heart to where they want to kill the messenger? Or is a person cut to the heart to where they want to heed the message of the messenger? And you might be listening. You might be listening and you're cut to the heart. And I say praise be to the Lord. And I know that sounds like, how can this guy, how can this guy dare say, praise God that I'm hurt? Praise God that I'm cut to the heart. How can this guy even say that? And I'll tell you why. It's because, it's because of the what happens next. And as for you, what happens next? I was cut to the heart. But what happens next? We fall on our knees. You fall on your knees. You hit pause. You listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. And you know what? You receive the message. And the message is the good news that God so loves you. And then once the, once that formula is now right in you, you know what you have? I mean, we could, we could speak for, Hour upon hours and hours upon hours and days upon days and weeks and months upon months about what's in store for you in terms of effectuation of God's promises. But we could just boil it down to one simple name. Jesus. You and Jesus. Jesus and you. Together. Intimacy. Oneness with God. You see? And if you're listening and you're cut to the heart, hit pause, listen to the message of how to commit your life to Christ. Praise be to the Lord because a cut heart, it does, people say, oh, my heart, my feelings hurt, my feelings hurt, that's so bad. No, feelings hurt. It does, I mean, it can be bad. 
But it depends on you. What's your next step? Praise be to the Lord when you see a heart that's cut. Why? Because we have restoration of heart. You say, well, why are you going to say this message if the whole purpose is to cut the heart? No, it's not that. It's the truth of the message and the message of the truth. And truth, whenever truth is confronted with the flesh, it will always, always hurt. And depending on the types of works of the flesh and the carnal nature, it can hurt bad. It can hurt very bad. Just like Peter with one group, they received the message of the truth and the truth of the message. With the other group, they were cut to the heart as well. But they say, Peter, we're going to kill you. We're going to give you the beat down. You see? And this vessel by the name of Samuel, the prophet, he continues to speak here in chapter 12 of 1 Samuel. In the presence of all, he says this in verse 14. If you fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and do not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then both you and the king who reigns over you will continue following the Lord your God. Now remember, the Lord, the Lord has given Samuel the prophet a pre-knowledge. He's given Samuel a pre-knowledge. We know that things aren't going to turn out so well for Israel. Under the leadership of Saul, we know that it's not going to turn out so well for Israel. And since we know that, why bother saying there's hope? Why even mention obedience to a people that will disobey? Why? It's because of the marathon. That's why. It's because of the marathon. And if you're listening and you haven't listened to the study called The Marathon, listen to the study called The Marathon. Very, very, very important because there are wicked doctrines that have popped up as a result of false teachers wrongly interpreting the scriptures, just like the scribes and the scribes were blind. Make sure you listen to the study called The Marathon. Because it will help you understand the nature and character of the biblical God, the biblical Jesus, and the biblical Holy Spirit. Elohim, in the beginning, Elohim, in the beginning, God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the triune nature of God, in the beginning, Elohim, and God so loves His creation. God so loves you. And so we see Samuel the prophet here. He has this pre-knowledge concerning Israel and this vessel of the Lord. He pleads with the people, presenting opportunity for them, for them to choose the narrow path, for them to choose in their marathon, for them to choose, presenting opportunity. Make sure you listen to the marathon. And this message that Samuel has, it's not without warning. Because in verse 15, however... If you do not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you as it was against your fathers. See, remember our study in Torah, how we see how God is reactionary. God is reactionary. He responds to obedience. He responds to disobedience and he responds to repentance. You see? But for a person to choose disobedience, for a person to choose wickedness, it absolutely has consequence. And that's what Samuel is saying here. 
Okay, you don't, you don't obey the voice of the Lord, you rebel against him, then he's going to be against you. Just like it was your father. You know, when you look at history, you know, Samuel, just straight up saying, you know, when you look at history, don't look at the good stuff. Look at the good stuff and the bad stuff. You see? And then you gain understanding of why certain things have transpired, why certain things have happened, and how God responds to certain stimuli. And stimuli being obedience, wickedness, and repentance. And you see how the Lord responds to each. Very important. Individually. Individually. Very important to understand because we see the character and nature of our Lord. In verse 16, Now therefore, stand and see this great thing which the Lord will do before your eyes. In verse 17, Is today not the wheat harvest? I will call to the Lord and he will send thunder and rain that you may perceive and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord in asking for a, in asking a king for yourselves. Remember, we're in the judges era. We're in the era of the judges. We have a priesthood. We have sacrifice. We have offering. We have festivals unto the Lord. And yet, what we also have is a people that have forsaken the Lord. Think about how mad the people were. Think about how mad they were to hear Samuel say, you have forsaken the Lord, you have forsaken the Lord. Because with carnal eyes, Samuel appears to be wrong with carnal eyes. Because look, we got the priests. We got the priests, we got sacrifice, we got offering. Surely this is a holy thing. But with eyes to see and understanding formula, that holy recipe, we can see Samuel, he's in the right the people have forsaken the Lord. All while going, they're going through the motions. Going through the motions of worship. Going through the motions of worship. Is it possible to go through the, the, go through the motions of worship today? Is that even possible? I'll give you the answer. Absolutely. Absolutely. Remember, in the book of Revelation, we have seven churches in Revelation. Only two are in good standing. Only two. Smyrna, Philadelphia. Only two are in good standing. The ten virgins of Matthew 25, half will not enter. It's not just possible to worship in vain and go through the motions. It's prophesied. It's prophesied. Because apostasy will absolutely come to pass. Apostasy, the, uh, the prophesied apostasy will come to pass. But let me tell you something. It's already begun. Where are the Samuels of our generation? 2023 AD, where are the Samuels of today? In the first Samuel chapter 12 era, we dwell in safety. We dwell in safety. God is king. God is king. But we want something different. We want to be like the Philistines. We want to be like the Moabites, the Ammonites. You see? And in verse 17, Samuel the prophet says, no, no, no. This is great wickedness. This is a great wickedness. And Samuel, he's telling the people. He's saying it to the people. 
And they could say, oh, Samuel is so mean. He's so mean. He's so mean. How dare he speak to us like that? But is Samuel mean? Not at all. What would be mean? What would really be mean? What would really be cruel? Is if Samuel said nothing. That would be mean. That would be cruel. That would be unloving. And for Samuel, that would be disobedience unto the Lord. And that's not happening on Samuel's watch. He's going to remain faithful to the Lord. You see? He's so mean. He's so mean. But he's right. Paul, he's so mean. He's so mean. But he's right. Brother James, he's so mean. He's so mean. But he's right. Remember, it's the messengers of the Lord. They have a message from the Lord. And the whole purpose, Old Testament, New Testament, and still today. Remember our studies in Torah, not advocating the law, but the law is still in effect. The law is still holy, but it points to the fulfillment of the law and the prophets, which is Jesus. But the whole purpose, Genesis to Revelation, Old Testament, New Testament, the whole purpose is for people to be right with God, for people to be pure before the Lord. Nothing mangy, remember? Nothing mangy. Remember Leviticus? Nothing mangy. For you and me, we don't just have a pre-knowledge. We know that things are going to turn out bad. The Lord is the one who told Samuel, give the people what they want. So does that mean this is a setup job? Not at all. Not at all. Remember, make sure you listen to the study called the marathon. The marathon. Very important. And in verse 18, So Samuel called to the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day, and all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. Now, this isn't Samuel desiring to be considered awesome. Oh, look at me, look at me, how awesome I am. I can do all these signs and wonders. No, 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 no. Samuel's intimacy with God is so tight so close, so intimate. Remember, cheek to cheek? His intimacy with the Lord is so tight. He calls to the Lord and the Lord responds. And the people fear the Lord and Samuel, but it's not fear for the sake of fear. Fear is a mere starting point. It's the beginning of wisdom. And in verse 19, and all the people said to Samuel, Pray for your servants to the Lord your God that we may not die, for we have added to all our sins the evil of asking a king for ourselves. So beautiful to see this because we see acknowledgement of sin, and that is a good thing. It is a good thing, but we also see something else because they ask of Samuel. Pray to the Lord your God. Instead of referring to God as ours, they refer to God as Samuel's. And we see these little signals along the way, and they're going to intensify. We see these little signals where things are just off a little bit. And down the road, it's going to be things are off a lot of bit. But right here in verse 19, it's good. It is a good thing that they acknowledge their sin before the Lord, but there are more things to understand so that God is our God. When the people say, like, you know, pray for your servants to the Lord your God, what we want it to be is God is our God. You see? 
and we see these little signals where things seem okay, things seem good, but we see like, wait a second, that's a little off. I mean, last week in chapter 11, you know, like, you know, this things seem good. We got the sacrifice, we got the offering, everything seems fine. And then the people want to kill Samuel, you know, that seems, that's, that's, that's just not a, a, a little signal. That's kind of a big signal. That's not just a, a little off. That's kind of a big off. They want to kill him. But we see these signals along the way, like, wait a second, that's, that's a little off. And then Samuel said to the people in verse 20, do not fear. You have done all this wickedness. Yes, you know, there is this wickedness. We can't deny that. You know, if, if you're like a sex head, no, there's no denying you're a sex head. If you do the crack and the Ouija boards and the occult, no, there's no denying you do the crack, the Ouija boards and the occult. There's no denying it. it is, it's wickedness. But once you come to the Lord and once, you know, you, you, you come to Christ, you know, you hear us say, you know, hit pause, listen to the message, commit your, how to commit your life to Christ, you commit your life to Christ, you come back. It's like, yes, that's, there's that past of wickedness. That's undeniable. But the penalty for that wickedness is no longer upon you. You see, there's no denying the wickedness. But the wickedness is denied. You see how the Lord works? Praise be to the Lord. That's called redemption. That's redemption. And that's the good shepherd. That's what he does. And so, yes, you have done all this wickedness we see in verse 20. Yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. Remember, within the marathon, if you haven't listened to the study, make sure purpose in your heart, listen to the marathon. I mean, the study is called the marathon. Go and listen. Because within the marathon, opportunity is given. Opportunity is given. And here in verse 20, serve the Lord, follow the Lord. That's a good thing. But from there, serving and following the Lord, look at verse 21. And verse 21, and do not turn aside. Do not turn aside. For then you would go after empty things which cannot profit or deliver, for they are nothing. You see, turning away from the Lord? That means a person is turning to something else. And Satan is crafty. Satan is crafty. He dangles the candy. Satan dangles the candy. He's not going to say, hey, come over here so I can kick you in the face. He doesn't say that because no one would turn to him. But Satan, he dangles the candy. Hey, look at over here. This can be yours. He's very crafty. And people look at the cares of this life and Satan presents the candy. And people attain the riches, but understand riches that cannot profit, riches that cannot, cannot deliver. Why? Because they're nothing. We just study this. It just so happens in the book of Mark. Remember when the Lord was teaching us about the seed and in the pneumos and in the heart, what is happening in the spirit realm? And Samuel the prophet, he's warning the people in verse 22, for the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you his people. And this is where we see the remnant, the remnant. We've seen it already. We've seen it already, but from generation to generation to generation and still today, God's people, it's a population that dwindles and dwindles and dwindles in the span of time. But then there are moments in history and even moments in the future, prophetically speaking, when the Lord makes himself known. And then you have a population of God's people that surges. 
but then it dwindles again and it dwindles down and it dwindles down and that's where you see the remnant. Look at the book of Joshua. Look at the book of Joshua and then look at the book of Judges. With Joshua, everyone serves the Lord. In Judges, the remnant serves the Lord. You see, surge and remnant. And the prophet Samuel continues in verse 23. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. But I will teach you the good and the right way. I'm so in love with this guy. I'm so in love with this beautiful man, the prophet Samuel. I'm so, so, so in love with him. What a beautiful man. Because the last chapter, in chapter 11, they wanted to straight up kill him. And Samuel tells them, I'm not going to cease praying for you. Far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord. Hey, I'm not going to stop praying for you. That's what he says. He tells the people that just wanted to freshly kill him. And he says, I'm not going to stop praying for you. You see, it is true that you and me, because we've studied the scripture, but in the era of 1 Samuel chapter 12, it was just Samuel. We have this pre-knowledge that things aren't going to turn out well for Israel under Samuel, under the under Saul, King Saul. But it is also written that you and me, we have a during knowledge. During knowledge. We have a during knowledge. Uh, during knowledge. And what that is, is what we see during the marathon. And we see that Samuel the prophet, he not only pleads with the people, but he also won't stop praying for them. And he's going to teach the people the good way. He's going to teach the people the right way. Notice, through Samuel, we see the nature and character of God, that God is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. And Samuel also, long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. Why? Intimacy. Intimacy. Oneness with God. Remember when we posed the question earlier, what's his motive? What's Samuel's motive? What's in it for him? What's his motive? You know what it is? The people, the people, so that they can be clean before the Lord. What's in it for him? Long-suffering. And I want to say something to qualified pastors in these last days. The qualified ones, the only the qualified ones, not the disqualified. If you're listening, you're a pastor and you're disqualified, listen, repent and step down. You say, oh, that's so mean, that's so... No, what, what that is, it's saving you from, you know, hellfire damnation. But this is only for the qualified pastors. Qualified pastors, a very rare breed. Observe this beautiful man, Samuel. Beautiful, beautiful man. Back in the day, the people loved him. Remember, they knew, they, they knew, the people knew that God was with Samuel. Remember when they saw Eli and they saw the, the sons, Hophni, Phinehas, and the people knew, like, okay, these guys are crazy. These guys are off. You know, they do the sex. They do, you know, what they do with the meat. They treat, they treat our sacrifices like, you know, we're like we're waiters. We're taking orders and they do the sex and they do all these things. You know, I'm not down with that. And the people saw Samuel. No, Samuel is with the Lord and the Lord is with Samuel. And the people knew that and they loved him. But in the course of time, the people, they came to hate him. 
in the course of time, the people, they want to kill him. His own kids have left him. They've sided with the masses. They've sided with the generation that has forgotten the Lord and has forsaken the Lord. And old man Samuel, he stands alone. And it's not standing alone for the sake of standing alone. He's alone. But Samuel tells the people, I won't cease to pray for you. And I'm going to teach you the good way. And I'm going to teach you the right way. And to the qualified shepherds of these last days, when you stand alone, not if, when you stand alone, be of good cheer. Why? Because you're in good company. You're in very good company. And Samuel continues here in verse 24. Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart, for consider what great things he has done for you. But if you do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. You see, the Lord, he never changes. He never changes. It is written. He never changes. And he pleads with the people during this marathon we call life. He does it himself, and he uses servants who are faithful to him. Where at first he calls them servants, but you know, once they get acclimated to his ways, he calls them friends. And then he sends them out as messengers. What's the motive of these servants? What's the motive of these vessels? What's the motive of these friends of God? You know what it is? It's just like Samuel, so that the people can be clean before the Lord, for people to be pure before the Lord. And if that's you, if that's you and you want to be clean and pure before the Lord, we've come to the end of our study. We've come to the end of this message. And if you haven't heeded those prior calls for you to commit your life to Christ after this message, listen to another message. It's called How to Commit Your Life to Christ. And you do exactly that. You commit your life to Christ. You and me together, forever committed to Jesus. To the beautiful, beautiful, beautiful people of the way, a remnant of these last days. God bless you. I love you.